Hey everybody, thanks for listening to this episode of My First Sketch. I'm Josh Hyam. If you're listening for the first time, welcome. Thanks for checking us out. Won't you subscribe to the show and rate five stars or leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. You can also like the podcast on Facebook at facebook.com slash myfirstsketch. If you're on Twitter, myfirstsketch. Granted, I really don't use that as much as I used to. If you head to myfirstsketch.com, you'll find some information about past guests, a couple blog posts, like tributes or videos of things I like or people I like. Any questions, thoughts, recommendations, feel free to email me, josh at myfirstsketch.com, and I'll get back to you in a timely fashion. Philly Sketchfest and My First Sketch are hosting an online show called Sketchybator, and the next one will be May 29th, Friday night. If you're listening to this as it comes out, uh, 10 Eastern, 7 Pacific. If you missed the last one, you missed sketches about Jurassic Park, about speedboats, Alan Auda and Robert Stack, and Garth Brooks, to name a few. It's a sketch comedy open mic. There's no pressure. Feel free to have a couple drinks. Just come and hang out on Zoom. It's been such great fun, and I hope that you're able to join us if you're hearing this. Check out myfirstsketch.com and phillysketchfest.com. For more information, the Zoom ID will go up the day of the show. But before we dive into today's episode of the podcast, here's a word from our friends at Sketch Nerds. Are you a fan of sketch comedy like Monty Python, Key and Peele, and Saturday Night Live? Have you ever wondered why their sketches are funny? Or maybe why that certain sketch didn't make you laugh? On the comedy podcast Sketch Nerds, we aim to answer those questions while having fun talking about the history and craft of sketch comedy. Every episode features a guest to help us break down our favorite sketches, as well as those submitted by listeners like you. So come nerd out with us and listen to Sketch Nerds at badmedicinecomedy.com slash sketchnerds. Today's guest is Kelly Turner, currently a member of Dang Dumb out of Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. Kelly's first sketch is called The Certificate. Kelly reads the role of Cliff. I read the role of Sam. And Cliff and Sam are just two co-workers chatting in the office. That's really all you need to know before we get into the sketch. So let's go to the sketch. Clive is hanging a picture in his cubicle. Hey, Clive, what are you hanging there? Oh, this? It's just a certificate. What for? Well, I took a master class in comedy. Uh, Steve Martin was the professor. Oh, cool. I didn't know you were an aspiring comedian. Not aspiring. I am a comedian. <laughs> right, of course. How much material do you have? Five, ten minutes? Material? Oh, um, no, I have ten minutes until lunch. No, comedy material. How long could you go for? Well, I prefer not to use props. Cool. What does your act like then? Well, I'm not an actor. I, I didn't finish the Daniel Day-Lewis acting class, uh, so I never got the certificate for that one. Um, as you can see, my certificate clearly states, I, Clive Hawalski, am a comedian. That's a great certificate. Do you take it to comedy clubs to get a spot in the lineup? Well, I wouldn't take the whole certificate. That would be absurd. I have a laminated card now that, I have, uh, uh, that I've completed the course. They'll get big laughs. Laughs? This is a laminated certificate. These are legitimate cards. Yeah, sure. And my art certificate from grade seven makes me Van Gogh. Oh, congratulations! Art, that was a tough one for me. I never got a certificate. I think everyone who took the class got a certificate. That's a talented bunch of students! Uh, sure. Really, though, how much time do you have? I am at work. I have ten minutes to lunch. You're really pushing the anti-joke, eh? Well, I'm not anti-jokes. I'm a comedian. Okay, okay. When I think about it, you do do a lot of kooky things. Remember the Banff conference? You slipped into the pool and forgot a change of clothes, and you sat through the whole day of meeting, leaving puddles all over the place? Yeah. Okay. What? What a spectacle. The whole office totally thought you were being serious by the end of the day. Guys, I forgot my bag. It's not funny. Yeah, yeah, I totally jumped into the pool. I just I just made it look like I fell. I knew it. You are funny. You're always stumbling around the office. You must be a slapstick comedian. Oh, no, I never played hockey. There you go again with your jokes. Well, I'm not joking. I never played hockey. 
Wow, you really commit to the bit. Bit? The comedy bit? Like the classic Three Stooges eye poke or Buster Keaton's hat tricks? Again, I I never played hockey. (laughs) Sure, sure. Well, hey, let me know the next time you do stand-up. I think I might actually enjoy it. Well, I'm about to get up for lunch. Clive slowly stands up and then bows. (laughs) That is hilarious. I hope that is part of your set. Well, if I only stand up one, it's more of a rep, not really a set. Oh, workout joke. Real clever, Clive. That should be your stage name. Um, I think I have to legally stick to the name on the certificate. I can't believe Masterclass gives out certificates. Oh, they don't. I had to make it. I've emailed them a lot about this issue, and I never get a response. I've, I took Gordon Ramsay's uh, class. I could never be a chef. Too stressful. And they wouldn't give me a certificate. Not only was the job stressful, but they didn't supply me with the necessary documents to get a job. I ran a small kitchen with my roommate, who I fired for lack of commitment. Wait, what? Uh, The boss babe comes in. Oh, look at that. You got a frame for it. Our very own class clown. I'm proud of you, buddy. The end. Kelly. Hi, Josh. All right. So tell me about this sketch. Tell me about the certificate. Um, so the certificate, the idea, uh, I genuinely took the Steve Martin masterclass and it was me and a bunch of people. I think everybody who we started dang done with uh, joined in on it. Um, and I was just kind of going through the site and just frequently asked questions and everything. And there was one very serious frequently asked question that was just like, we do not hand out certificates for these classes (laughs) you you don't graduate from them they're more life experience and I just thought it was hilarious the idea that somebody would be so stringent about these master classes to like need a certificate um yeah so that's where the whole idea came from yeah I I also oh I I, you know I I signed up for the 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 master class with Steve Martin because I was very curious when I saw the commercials I was like oh I love Steve Martin. Like, let's see what this is. Yeah. I never finished it. I was just like, I, I, I probably got like halfway through. I was like, okay. Yeah. I, I don't think any of us finished it either. We would have meetups. So we would all meet up at my place and we would like watch the episode or whatever. And, um, and then after, and we would talk a little bit after, but then we would just end up riffing on other things. And I think like the masterclass itself was like, it's good if you've never done comedy before to, inspire people to go out in the world people watch and like find the funny but when if you've like done it before because like all of us were improvisers and everything it's just like basically the class is saying just do it and um have a sense of humor about life was like the thesis of it yeah the other thing that i really picked up on it of you know going through a couple things is like oh steve martin has clearly not done stand-up in 30 years like yeah. Like some of the stuff that he was suggesting, I was just like, it's 2018 or whatever it was when I first like watched it. I was like, dude, like that's not going to work. But yeah, I mean, those masterclass things are like so interesting to me that like on one hand, it has to be relatively easy money for the celebrity to like to do them. Oh like, yeah. They can't take that long to produce. Yeah. And like, People would be like, yeah, I learned acting from Natalie Portman. I'm right? awesome now. And that's the thing is, yeah, it's just like, it has to be just tips and tricks. It's not actually a class because there's no feedback. There's no, like, it's not like you can ask any questions. I mean, I guess they do have the side room. Oh, I forgot about the side room chat. That I, I didn't even venture. I, 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 I couldn't imagine good things would have come from, like, the side room and, like, the uh, the message boards that they had. Oh, there was some gold. There was one class instead of, yeah, there was one time where everybody met up and we were, instead of do, instead of watching it, we just went to the sideboard and we just read the conversation. And there was, there was some, definitely some gold. Uh, there's some people who took it very seriously, which was like, I loved that. That was so funny yeah. for me. Um, 
and it was like almost just like the the character that I had made of just like taking it so seriously of just like not really fully understanding comedy but getting the tools to do it and then just saying that you can do it which is great and I do think it would be like just hilarious that as like on your bio if you put like oh yeah I studied under Steve Martin no no big deal like yeah exactly when really it was just like yeah I downloaded a thing and I watched a video a couple of times and uh yeah he told me to go out and go out into the world and like look around (laughs) and then he still managed to play banjo a ton oh my god that was amazing (laughs) that was the best part it was more just like him selling him as a banjo player which was amazing uh it's so and it's great because i saw actually uh because he tours with martin short and i saw him like two years ago and the show was fantastic like but it's still weird to think of like steve martin as like almost predominantly a banjo player now oh yeah and like when he was like the biggest name in comedy for 20 something years and i like wish that i would have been alive when he was like doing stand-up and all of those things because like my first um uh my first interaction with like steve martin as like a comedian was sergeant bilko okay yeah i and i love that movie with all of my heart it was like when we would be able to rent uh vhs's and so we'd rent seven seven day movies at rogers and um i always picked sergeant bilko to the point that my mom was like you're not allowed to to take it anymore (laughs) this makes no sense um but yeah and so from like a young age seeing like one of his movies that like wasn't super well known but then going into like Bowfinger and The Jerk and all of these and like knowing him as a movie star, not as like a stand up comedian was wild. So once you get like older and like I read his book Born Standing Up and everything and I was like, whoa, man, I wish like I wish I would have been able to see the whole transformation of his career as opposed to just seeing him now of just like just this icon who did like a lot of weird movies when I was a kid. Yeah, and it's odd because like Steve Martin is one of my favorite people, like favorite like comedians, actors, whatever you want to call it. But there's still a ton of his stuff I've never seen. Like, right? Um, I I just watched The Jerk for the first time like four or five months ago. Ooh, nice! And you like it? I was like, I well, the one thing I was so like, like I knew the basic story of you know being a poor poor black boy or whatever it was, mm-hmm. like in this black sharecropper's family. When he drops the N-word, like, towards the end of the movie, like, I was completely taken aback. I was like, oh. Yeah, that'll throw you for a loop, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, it's not 1978 anymore. Like, wow, my gosh. I, I was not expecting that at all. Yeah. Um, But, like, I my, my Steve Martin growing up was Dirty Rotten Scoundrels. Ooh, uh, yeah, yeah. Like, this, the scene where he, like, excuse me, may I go to the bathroom? Like, was the height of comedy <laughs> for me. Yeah, that was that was sheer gold. Like, we, like there's no doubt about that for sure. Uh, so what's your introduction to like, comedy as a kid? Like, what were you into? What made you laugh? Um, uh, like, I watch a lot of those movies. Um, obviously, um, cartoons is, like, huge. So, like, the Looney Tunes. The Animaniacs were my favorite thing in the world. Uh, and going back and rewatching the Animaniacs and seeing how much of like the jokes that I didn't get because they're like yeah. there's the facade of it being for kids, but then when you're watching it, you're like, this is just good, like good joke writing that it can get all audiences, and then you can watch it again when you're 25 and be like, oh, this is dirty. Yeah, and um, there's and it's so filled with references that a fi- a six year old would not get at all. Oh yeah, no, not even like, a little bit. <laughs> yeah, I, like. Yeah, I, I revisited the anime next a few years ago. And I was like, oh, this is this is still so so good. Like, and I don't know if kids' TV today is like that. Yeah, and I like I don't know if it's just like being like jaded and older and just assuming that kids' TV isn't as good anymore, uh, and just being like, ugh, they don't get it. They're not. They don't have like those fun quiffy bits. There's the there's no reference to like a CW feed uh, field rapid fire like joke telling or anything. Um, and I, but I also think that that's just like preferential. And so like the idea of just like being a vaudevillian has been in my blood, I feel at like a very young age. And so just like, uh, 
yeah, just like the importance of like quick one-liners and everything is super huge. So just like assuming that kids TV is unsophisticated, I feel like is is a trope of an older person, but it it's one that I fall into for sure. But I I will definitely say that whatever kids TV my nephew watches is definitely unsophisticated. Yeah. I I, I I'll I'll fully admit like those Nickelodeon sitcoms are Ooh, yeah. I'm not going to say the worst, but they're they not, are not the good. Best. Yeah. Like, and like, I definitely had my family channel phase where I would watch those shows. And then, like, going back and watching them, you're just like, oh, yeah, this really wasn't like super great or anything. And it's just like, it's also based around life lessons and you can respect and understand that. But it's like classic life lessons of like, yeah, be nice to people. Just the stuff that you learned when you watched like Recess and just had friends. And I mean, recess is, I was definitely too old to watch recess when I watched recess. Like I was already like two years out of that target demo. Uh, yeah. And it was legitimately when Disney plus debuted last year, the first thing I watched was recess. It's not bad. Hey, I love recess. It's so good. (laughs) I'll, I'll, I'll cop to recess completely. Yeah. Yesterday, um, I had a Saturday morning cartoon and breakfast and we were watching recess and there's like just those episodes that hit home and there's two of those episodes in a row that I was like, Oh, I didn't even realize this were part of that one episode. Um, mm. And just like sitting there and just being so enamored and just like, yeah, I do remember that. That was, that was so good. That was and like, I identified so much with Spinelli that I was just like, Oh man, that's super cool. <laughs> just like going back and watching it. I'm like, yeah, I still feel that that strong, strong connection. So as you grow up, how does your comedy uh, taste shift? Like, as a teenager, like what what starts really hitting you then? Um, I like I definitely stick hard with like slapstick style. I um got really into like Charlie Chaplin, Harold Lloyd, and Buster Keaton for a while. Mm. Yeah, and watching Conan. That was like probably that was the most modern comedy that I was watching was like Conan every single night. Um, like, yeah. like I'm so. Uh, like, how do you find Buster Keaton, Charlie Chaplin, and Howard Lloyd as a teenager? Like, oh, like that just seems so odd to me. No, uh, it was more my rebellious uh, side of me. Of everybody was rebelling with rebelling with uh, Nirvana, um, and I. Uh, rebelled the rebellion and I started listening to jazz um, and like not really liking it but forcing myself to get into it because I was just like well I'm not gonna be like everybody else listen to like this like Nirvana and like all of those things and so I got really into jazz and big band music and then that just brought me to Turner Classic Movies Um, and then I just started watching just a ton of old movies and and then at really late at night, they would play silent movies. And then that's where you could get your, like, your Buster Keaton fix. Do you have a favorite of those three? Um, or a, a favorite a favorite movie of those three? Favorite movie of those three? Oh, I think I watched more Harold Lloyd and Charlie Chaplin, for sure. Buster Keaton, I just see, like, clips of it. Um, or I just seen clips of his stuff. Uh, and I'd say I really liked Harold Lloyd um because of his like nice sincere character this one isn't a silent movie but there's a movie called uh movie crazy where he just wants to get into the movies um claudette colbert is the other leading lady in it or is the leading lady in it and um he it's just like classic misunderstanding of him sending in like an audition reel and then people being like, no, this guy's the worst ever. But then the wrong picture gets attached to the reel. So it's this super handsome man gets attached to Harold Lloyd's reel. And then just obviously chaos ensues. And then there's just fun like slapstick falling over pratfalls and all of those things that I just adore. Um, so I think, yeah, that's probably one of the top, top ones. But yeah, hmm. I don't, yeah, it's, it's difficult because Charlie Chaplin has so much gold too. Yeah. Yeah, I like, there, there are other things. I, I don't think I've ever seen really a Howard Lord Lloyd film at all. Like I know, like Safety, Safety First, Last. Yeah. Safety Last is his major one. Yeah, and I feel like I might own it. I just have never watched it because I'm That's bad fair. about doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, but like 
in in film school, like the big things were uh, City Lights and Gold Rush for Chaplin. Oh, City Lights. And then, so like, good. I remember watching The General and a couple of the Buster, uh, Buster Shorts, like, yeah. like one week or, you know, the crazy one where the house falls down on him, like. Yeah. Which is, like, I can't imagine doing that. The stunts like, in, and everything? Like, in that time, doing it himself. Right? It, it just, it's crazy. Yeah. To, to like, choreograph all of those movements and everything and just... And obviously, like, being a pioneer within film of just, like, hey, we got this new medium. How can we mess around with it? Um, like, with revolving backgrounds and all of those things. And, and then also adding all of your stunts that you know from, like, doing vaudeville acts and everything. is like, just fascinating to me. I'm, like, just enamored by the creativity that they get to die, that they had the opportunity to dive into. Mm. It's... It's crazy, and, and like the whole of all those guys, like of that silent film era, the guys and girls and everything, like where they perfected an act on vaudeville in vaudeville for so long, and they basically could tour around with that act, and then within the first couple of movies, like they had to completely reinvent and and redo it, like and yeah, like they've completely wasted their vaudeville act in two movies and having to completely you know, start over again. It's just, it's so crazy to me. I think it's wild, but it's also the fun thing when you look at like stand up of like, how do you go about stand up? Do you write a whole new hour every single year? Um, or are you like, like the Jerry Seinfeld where you're going to be perfecting it forever. And like, so you like both of them still come out with like great specials, both like styles, but yeah, that's like putting your vaudeville act that was your heart and soul for like six years onto film and the idea of it being like, great, now it's, now everybody can see it. And um, it's like al- almost less precious, but like I wouldn't say that it is. Um, yeah. And then you were like forced to, again, like be more creative and like dive into it a little bit further and just like explore different ideas then. Yeah. And although like a guy like Jay Leno had a, like, a nightly TV show here in America, like... Yeah he's never put out a stamp special. So he's been doing the same act from what I understand for basically like 20 something years. Like, cause he still tours like constantly cause he's a psycho and a workaholic. Yeah. But like, <laughs> like the idea that, um, I don't want to give him too much credit since he's a monster, but like Louis CK, yeah, like <laughs> invented that, like, you know, tour for six months, do a special, put it out tour for six months put a special like do it out like and a lot of other comedians have taken up that mantle of constantly churning new material and new specials like is it completely i don't know it's wild to think how much comedy has evolved that way in the last couple years yeah it's an interesting way to like look at it too because um yeah there's a round table that you can watch on youtube where i think it's yeah it's Louis C.K. and uh, Ricky Gervais and Jerry Seinfeld and somebody else. Um, And I might even have some of the wrong people. But yeah, they're having, they basically have a long discussion about just like, which is better. And, And there's like just two different schools of thought. And I think that, I don't think that either is wrong. Also, I think that this is really cool because it's just like with like sketches, like when you're done a sketch, and you perform it and it gets laughs. Are you done adding to it? Are you done manipulating it to make it even right. better? And it's just like, no, you're never going to be done. It's like, it's never going to be a static thing. In my own comedy career, like, yeah, I was part of a group when I first started and then I took a break and I disappeared for a couple of years. And I, and when I came back and started like putting my toe back into comedy scene in Philadelphia, I asked a couple of people I trusted. I was like, what's the deal with me revisiting stuff I wrote three years ago? Like, like is like what's the the statute of limitations on rewriting material like and they're like yeah just do it no one cares yeah i think like, that's super smart now i'll say if i've seen you multiple times and i've seen the same sketch multiple times we're going to have an issue oh yeah but <laughs> but yeah like oh there i i can name a couple of sketches i never want to see live again and I've made it very clear to my friends 
if I'm in the show, that better not be on the set list. Or I'll walk out for the, t- the seven minutes I know the sketch is, and I'll come back in when it's done. Mm, okay, yeah, I guess that's fair. That's fair. <laughs> I, I, would I can never... be a jerk to my friends sometimes, for sure. <laughs> I don't think I would ever walk out. Um, but I also am like a, a horrible optimist in just like, oh, they're doing it again. Maybe they found something new. And then I'll like sit um, and like, yeah, I might not be rolling on the floor laughing, but I'll give everybody the benefit of the doubt. And I am a laugher. I am the person that you want in a room if you're pitching a sketch idea. Cause like, if it's got a glimmer of hope, I'll be laughing no matter what. Um, but yeah, yeah. I don't want to have like a show that's like incredibly predictable. And thankfully, because like Dingdom is huge. There's so many of us. We have a lot to pull from and we're always generating mm-hmm. ideas and everything. But there is like the, the magic of like, when you perform it again, but the audience is slightly different or the audience isn't responding to it, which is a nightmare, but just to have that moment of like chaotic calm of just like, how can I make them like this? And then yeah. you can discover some new things within it. Uh, so you had mentioned that you had started as an improviser. Is that your first step into performing comedy? Yeah. Yeah. In a and a major way. How did you, where, how'd you start? Where'd you start? Uh, I started taking, I took one class when I was 18 with rapid fire theater or no, maybe mm. two. And then um, I met some people in there who do, uh, did improv at the university of Alberta. So I moved over uh, cause it was like $25 a year. And so I was just like, yeah, that's great. Super cheap. And you just get to <laughs> do a ton of improv. Um, yeah. So I started into that group and I did it for like, nine like seven years i want to say i'm not entirely sure uh Mm -hmm. and then i got into rapid fire and so i've just been with them and um yeah just going hard on improv because i figured there's two ways to get into comedy this was like my thought process um and it was either improv or stand-up and the idea of stand-up was mortifying so yeah because i like talking to the people i've talked to in edmonton i don't think there's really been like a sketch comedy education versus that like there's very there's a very clearly defined improv scene for sure Mm -hmm. from what i know of edmonton but the sketch comedy education and taking classes like that is a fairly recent development for you guys yeah, it definitely feels like a new boom. And I think it's because so many people were were um, stand-up or improv. And just like from my experience. And so basically, you could just get like with uh, the university improv group that I was with. Um, we tried so many different times to just be like, yeah, and then we're going to write sketch. We're going to get a small group together and we're going to start writing sketch. We're to do it on a regular basis. And I don't know if this is like an improviser thing, but all of us would, would just be like so undisciplined to put pen to paper. So we would just end up like doing improv and having fun. But then the idea of like revisiting it and working on it and uh, and like make fine tuning it and finding like the real jokes and the real about about in like a scene that had already happened would was like mind numbing to me. <laughs> Uh, and so even like, I can be like so undisciplined when I'm writing sketch and like, there'll be sketches that I, like they got legs, but I'm just like, oh, couldn't imagine writing more for it after I've written the full thing and I've presented it to dang them. And they're like, yeah. And then just like make these changes. It'll be better. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it'll take me like weeks to make the changes, make the changes. And then it's great. But if I put it on its feet. And we start playing in the characters and doing that, I can make the changes immediately. And it's much more tangible and fun. And I've actually like recommended to people like that I know that want to do like improv to sketch. I'm always like, have a video camera in the room, set up someone's iPhone, like, you know, shoot your play, maybe have your director take notes. And then and then that way cherry pick the stuff that you can, that you can play with later and, and, you know, develop even more as a sketch and like write it that way. But yeah, like, I don't know. I, I, cause personally, like I, hmm, I'm not the biggest like improv for improv stakes guy. Oh, like, okay. Okay. But 
the the idea of improving to write. Oh, which is. I think I, it yeah. like there has to be a better way of doing it, and you know, so like maybe maybe every like improv to sketch team needs like a clerk who is in charge of like being the stenographer and taking down all the and just writing being the person that actually like, types the stuff out as it like as it happens or as they review it like yeah like every improv to sketch group needs uh one stand-up comedian who's <laughs> just a little like, bit more disciplined um <laughs> uh, so then how does uh dang dumb start out of your improv experience um, so I met basically everybody in Dang Dumb. Oh, not basically. Yeah. Everybody in Dang Dumb. We all did improv together at the university group. Some of us do rapid fire. Um, but yeah, we've been, uh, doing improv for ages together. And then, yeah, from what I remember, I know that like, like I said, yeah, Michael and I, we would, I remember it was at a party too, where I was just like, I really want to get into sketch but I'm just not super disciplined, but I really want to do it. Michael was like, okay, let's do it. And we were like text back and forth about the idea of doing it. And he was just like, you're serious, right? And I was like, yeah, of course I'm serious. I'm super serious. And then so we'd start meeting every Tuesday. Um, and then, yeah, from there we did that for like probably probably a couple of years. Uh, and then we just like brought more people into this Tuesday sketch thing um, and almost like, just like with the desire of how serious we could be about it. We had like this one meeting, uh, there was like five or six of us and we're just like, hey, so we wanna do a sketch thing. This idea was being proposed uh, through like five of us and we're just like, yeah, we're all serious, let's all do it. Let's like, let's be super strict or like not strict about it, but let's be like uh, uh, more committed. So then we started meeting every single Sunday we got ourselves a name and we we committed to doing Odd Wednesday. That's the show that the debutantes put on every every other Wednesday. And so we're just like, we'll have to do an Odd Wednesday once a month. So we always have to have 15 minutes of material coming in. and Or we can be refining old sketches. And by the end of this year where we do Odd Wednesday once a month, we write every we write all the time, but then we meet every Sunday. We will have a one-hour show that we can put on at the Grindstone Theater, which was, like, kind of the main goal. Basically, what we needed was, like, a schedule. Right, and that and that was something I that I, like, clicked onto as you were talking, was, like, giving yourselves that deadline of we need to have this for this time. Like, you know, committing to do Odd Wednesday with the Debs, like really is like a motivating factor of like getting the work done yeah yeah after fringe we were all burnt out last year and um and we didn't have any show set in place but we're still meeting every sunday but we were so burnt out and we're just like that's fine we can give ourselves a couple of weeks but it turned into like two months of us just meeting and just hanging out every sunday and we're like oh shoot we like messaged the devs can we get on the next odd wednesday and the second that happened we just like popped out like four new sketches so it's just like god we really need that deadline yeah i i i've i've talked to a bunch of people that were like yeah we need a deadline like like give me a show put it on the calendar and i'll have a show ready yeah. and I, i'm the same way like i i'm awful at just writing for writing's sake like i need an end game i need an like a date to get to the end and um that, that that's something i've always said about that was good about like the sketch comedy education like taking a sketch comedy class at a theater is you have to present something at one of the classes like there's there is a deadline for you mm-hmm. and just i'm a big fan of deadlines i'm not gonna lie that's fair that's fair <laughs> i i'm a fan of them i'm also a heavy procrastinator so it'll be like hey we got to write something last week we um i was just like hey so we need to get some ideas going uh and so we decided to do a table read show uh for a live stream coming up and Mm -hmm. so basically we were just like okay we're gonna do it next week we're gonna meet we'll record it on zoom see if it's any good um and everybody's gotta write a sketch about an egg and or not about an egg but inspired by egg and it wasn't we had the meeting on thursday and it wasn't until like wednesday in the morning that i was like all right i've been thinking about eggs all week let's write something yeah, that that sounds pretty natural too. Uh, where does the name Dang Dumb come from? 
Uh, it comes from uh, Michael and a former member of Dang Dumb uh, were at an improv festival. Um, and in the set that they were doing, one of the other improvisers just kind of like slipped up on their words. And I can't remember the scene exactly because I wasn't there. Um, but she had said, oh, you dang dumb. And it got a huge laugh. And and we would just kept on repeating it whenever anybody would say something stupid. Just like, oh, you dang dumb. And um, it was proposed as the name. And um, I think like defiantly, we all kind of uh, voted for it. Because there was like a few others, but yeah, I think there's only one person who was like really opposed to the name. But everyone was like, "No, I like it. I'm a big fan of alliteration personally, so I was gonna vote for it regardless." Uh, yeah, because I think it's like a good name. Like every sketch group has like a weird name until people get like comfortable with it, and they're just like, "Okay, cool, yeah, whatever." Uh, I I have a thing for sketch names because for a while here in Philadelphia, there was a lot of like animal plus location. Ooh. Like it just it almost became like like going to like a website with like a random sketch name generator and it was always just like some animal yeah. plus some location. Zebra and, hospital. And it, right. And it felt like <laughs> it felt like seven like there was a, a new seven teams with an animal plus location every year. And I was just like, guys, like come on. Like, ugh. That's so I'm true. always curious about sketch yeah. teams' names. Oh, and where I they come it. from. They're so fun. Because, yeah, they're also, <laughs> it's like a story that gets lost in it. I don't know where the debutantes got their name from. But, like, now it's just like, yeah, it's just the devs, you know? You're you're the debutantes. We know you as the debutantes. And, like, your name doesn't really have to make sense. I feel like you just have to commit to it. Right. Yeah. Uh, so you had mentioned that um, taking classes at Rapid Fire and then, you know, doing the University of Alberta and then becoming one of the the company members of rapid fire as an improviser Mm -hmm. uh tell me a little bit uh about the scene in edmonton for comedy for comedy or for like improv either whatever i think honestly i think it's like pretty good obviously there's like there's like ups and downs and like different areas of it but i never find myself to be in the center of those things which is honestly great i do improv with another company sorry not sorry I think it's, like, pretty good. I think the sketch community is, like, super strong. All of us are super, um, really supportive of each other. Like, if you put on a show, the chances of there being somebody from the sketch community in the audience is, like, pretty high. So you also get a lot of that support, and it's not super competitive. Um, And I feel like, yeah, so I think, like, sketch is, like, it's great and it's booming. And I think maybe because there's like not a ton of us and the ones that exist, we're all like pals, which is great. And with improv, <laughs> like it's so big. And it's, it is, yeah, like you said, it's like huge in Edmonton. We have the CIG, we've got like Nose Bowl. So like we've got um, like teens coming in and growing up with, uh, with improv comedy and like idolizing it and like really loving it, which is wonderful. And I think because the community is so big um like you you kind of see people around and like there is like a little bit of crossover but there's not a ton of it but overall I think it's like pretty positive I don't have any kind of negative thoughts towards it uh and with stand-up I don't actually like I go and I watch it um but it still scares me so much I've only done it a couple of times and so I'm not like in the community but Upon observing, they seem good. <laughs> yeah, I think when I when I, uh, when I hung out with um, Marvin Berry a couple years ago, mm-hmm. like I joked with him, I'm like, Edmonton is so far north. What is there else? What else is there to do? Like, I feel like your outside time, like within a year, is very short. Like, I feel like, you know, I just, I just picture a frozen tundra, like eight months of the (laughs) year. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, You're not wrong. That's for sure. Uh, We have a mud season that lasts like another three months. And then we get (laughs) green grass uh, and sunlight for about a month. And then we get covered in smoke for a month. Uh, (laughs) So sometimes just going outside is just straight up dangerous. Um, But yeah, 
like I mean there's a lot like creatively you can really dive into it yeah that's what I said like that's what I mean like like I got the sense that like why not go into a theater and do stuff there like instead of gallivanting around outside like I think I even joked that it was almost like a survival thing of like oh let's put on a show let's do it yeah I mean like what's stopping you that's like another big thing um yeah I yeah I guess like the the community that um is like very warm and welcoming it's just like really easy to dive into and just like be a part of it and like with that just encouragement and everything there's yeah yeah I think yeah there's <laughs> not a lot to do outside but you can you can keep yourself busy for sure and because our days get so so long in the summer I feel like it levels out um but yeah yeah especially Sorry, I'm just rambling at this point. Yeah, That's you fine. mentioned Marvin Berry, and I was just like, "Oh yeah, I do improv with a lot of them. A lot of them are in rapid fire." Mm. Yeah. Um. So, for anyone who has never seen a dang dumb show, is there like a particular like ethic or like a particular voice that you would describe dang dumb having? Uh, we are the self-proclaimed bad boys of skit comedy um of skit comedy yeah we defiantly took the name skit and we're sticking to it we're gonna bring skits back um yeah okay why (laughs) because of the reaction you just gave right there (laughs) you just know everybody in sketch comedy is like no sketch is important and and uh sketches is the correct way to say it Skits are something, and we have this line in one of our sketches, skits are something you do at a Bible camp. Or it's yep. just like, yeah, it's a, it's something that, that you do for your parents or whatever. But it's... Yeah, it, skits have a campfire involved. They could. Or you could call it a skit and put it on the stage and see what happens. <laughs> like, So where does the, the, the mindset of that particular like set of branding come from then? Like, just, just to be defiant? Just to be like, yeah, whatever. Oh. <sighs> I think it's just like to not take yourselves too seriously. I think it's not. Yeah. I think that might be a big part of it. Also, when we start writing, we had to, the most recent um, uh, challenge we'd given ourselves is trying to write a few more PG um, sketches. Uh, I think, yeah, we just, um, we'll just kind of throw things out there and see what sticks. The bad boys of skit comedy. We said, once and um and it really stuck within the community and yeah i think it's just like yeah not taking ourselves too seriously and just having fun with it and just like going full bore but also it's like a nice way to introduce the audience to like yeah there's probably going to be a few sketches about like masturbating or like drinking pee like that's a big one and just like all these wild things that kind of come with it you say drinking pee as if it's a recurring theme in your shows uh i don't know that is it we do have a sketch that i love doing (laughs) that involves like the idea of drinking pee not the idea you know i i I even i i really can't say anything about that because i just remembered i have a sketch about drinking pee right that i i wrote a couple years ago so See, really... I think <laughs> I have nothing. It's great. I think that yeah, because like when we go through our our sket or our sket list, our, our skit list, we have just so many. I'm just gonna look at the list right now because <laughs> we have like the a list of ones that we've performed. Um, and so yeah, they can be blue or they can be dark. Somehow that like a lot of them are about death. We also, um, and this isn't like a like a brag or anything. We just happen to have a pretty diverse group um, compared to like a lot of other sketch groups in Edmonton, which is nice because then we can dive into a different a different topic. So then we will talk about race in the in some of them uh, from the perspective of a person of color, which is which I think is pretty solid. But it's also mm-hmm. like because yeah, me. CK and Jordan are the people of color within the group. And so we'll have fun and we'll really dive into those. Um, but like in a house, 
or in a community that honestly has like a predominantly white audience, you can bring up something and just hear like a, okay. And just like, there's one sketch that we have virtue signaling where Michael ended up being in the back of the house for one of them, I think. And he was just like, people liked it, but people didn't know that they were allowed to laugh at it. Uh, and until they were like looking around and they were just like, oh, okay. okay I think it's okay to laugh, which is pretty fun. But yeah, yeah. That that's a, a common thing that's come up on this podcast too. Is that like, uh, sketch comedy tends to like, at least in in the major cities or in the people I've talked to, like, really, um, like attract like that like white liberal kind of like audience that you know will grit their teeth like, oh, okay, yeah, I see what they're doing, but. I don't want to be the first one to laugh at like, yeah, you know, that difference of like laughing at something, laughing with something. Yeah. Cause there's like a self-proclaimed woke kind of attitude where you're just like, God yeah. damn it. Don't say you're woke. It's just like, take it, take the edge off and like, don't take yourself so seriously. And um, like, allow yourself to laugh. I think. Yeah. Cause like, yeah, the sketch, I will say virtue signaling. We, we do get into it. So it's me and CK sitting on a bench and then two other characters coming in, trying to get us to go to their community potluck um, so that we can diversify the food a bit, Um, (laughs) which is super funny. And so they come at it with like the, the idea of, of like being like proudly woke of just like, Oh, they can diversify it and it's going to be great. But without realizing how ignorant it is. Um, And then it's just like a fun way for me and CK to be able to get to play with them in a way. So like I'm, I'm indigenous black, but I'm also white too. Um, but one of the lines in it is just like, Oh, you can bring, um, you can bring Bannock. And I was just like, Oh, I don't know how to, I don't know how to make it. I was never able to learn. And it's just like that, that, Ooh, but it's pretty funny when you really think about it, when you're, when you put yourself in the perspective of like my character just kind of, forcing these supposedly woke people that it's just like oh i i don't fully know your experience and i'm not gonna force it on you you know so how does um how to ask this properly (laughs) uh how does being person of color indigenous indigenous black and mixed race it it also sounds like oh yeah fully mixed yeah i'm just uh Um, i'm a north american mutt how does that like guide your writing and your work within a community that is like even like globally very lily white like i didn't think it was gonna affect my writing as much as it does because like even just being a woman uh and people are just like the idea of being a woman in comedy of just like, oh yeah, you're part of like definitely part of a minority group and like a male dominant and Yeah, world. I didn't even bring up the whole woman thing. <laughs> oh yeah, but that's just like a whole other thing. And I I guess, yeah, I thought that being a woman might be a little bit more of something that I would bring to the table. Um, but it's not really the case. And I think it's also just because of like, uh who I am as a person of just like yeah I started playing hockey when I was young and I played hockey with the boys and because my name was Kelly they all assumed that I was like a boy I think because there was five other girls in the boys league and they always got to be on the same team and I was just kind of by myself with the guys and I was like okay whatever I mean I don't think I'm any different and then I never let uh being a girl or being a woman kind of I like that thought never crossed my mind of like, I can't do comedy because there's no women in comedy. Like I can't play hockey because there's no women in hockey. It's just like, ah, I don't know. I have all the tools I feel that I need. So I'll be there. Um, But being a person of color, I was just like, oh shit, this is a lived experience that affects how I view the world and affects how I view myself that I'll just come out with a sketch and I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, no, that's just like a lot about me being uh, like me seeing the world this way uh, and me having these different experiences. So I think that, yeah, it, it affects how people treat me. So it definitely affects how I perceive people and write jokes. Yeah. I think um, 
I think it's always no matter what, because I think I had a conversation recently with someone about like uh, people not wanting to laugh at like a sketch about mental health mm. and not to equate the two things, but like the idea of giving an audience the context to like and almost giving them the context to allow the permission to laugh at my experience or, you know, what I'm putting down there on page seems to be a hard thing sometimes. Cause like, like you mentioned that there's, you know, certain things that an audience just won't laugh at cause they don't think they have the permission to. Yeah. And I think with mine, it's just like trying to give them the permission um, and just try to figure out a way to make it work, but also mm. not catering to them. Cause it's like, if you feel uncomfortable laughing at these jokes that are completely valid, because it's, and like, you know that they're valid, not because you're like being precious or anything, but it's just like, I tell it to a room of people of color and I get a great laugh from it. Um, but then, then you put it in front of like an audience of people who are just like, oh, I don't think that, that I don't think I'm a lot, I don't think this joke is for me. Um, I feel like it puts me down as a comedian to be like, how can I make this for you? Does a, do I have to change my content completely? Does my point of view of the world because it's different from yours, is it no longer valid because it makes you uncomfortable? Or can I can I make this joke and can we all try to figure out how to how to laugh together? Because I can laugh at um, there's like there's so many jokes about just like being white that yeah yeah they're funny and it's great and like you can have those jokes and because the majority of people are white, I think it's just the laughter is louder. But that's interesting, yeah, like, because like I. And one of the things that I always like I'm dealing with with you know comedy programming and everything is like having like almost like a themed night, like yeah. you know like a ladies' night or like when when you go to a show that is specifically marketed as ladies' night or something like that, like where I feel like you're almost trying to preach to the choir, yeah, instead of playing to everyone that's available. Yeah, it's no longer is it a, an experience of bringing everybody together to laugh. It's bringing people like you together to laugh. And it's just like, I understand the idea of like creating that safe space and also providing that space. Um, yeah. But yeah, I don't know. Because like you couldn't do that. I think you can do that with a ladies night because... Uh, because there are just like so many more women in comedy. Um, yeah, but when it comes to just like people of color in comedy, it's dry in Edmonton. And so to have like a like a tokens night, we have a with Rapid Fire, we do have a troupe called Tokens. And like ideally, it would mm. be an ensemble um, where uh, there's a there's a all female, non binary, and trans ensemble of Rapid Fire, but that's because that's 50% of the company. But then mm. they're just like, yeah, we should have like more POC programming. And it's like, okay, yeah, sure, whatever. And there's four of us. <laughs> so it's just like, yeah, oh, okay, this is a troop. And this is a troop that's put together to like fill a hole. Um, but like not in a negative way because we all like playing together and everything. But yeah, I don't know. It's like it's really strange once it turns into the race conversation. Because it's also you don't want to be – well, I guess I don't want to speak for other people. But for me – I don't want it to be preachy or anything. I have another sketch um, with the whole yellow vest movement that was going on a little while ago. Um, what is that? I don't know what that is. What? You don't know the yellow vest? Oh, that doesn't. I I I don't. I I, I have no clue what you're saying okay, at all. Okay, fair. So yellow vest. It started in Paris, I think, or like in France, and that's the thing. Is after that. The, all of the all of the information gets incredibly muddled. And so there was a whole yellow vest movement, and I think it was for, like, conservative workers. But I'm not entirely sure. And nobody else was fully sure. So there would be these rallies, and, like, it's also yellow vests or things that people would wear. Um, and like for when they're going to work so you'd be like walking around the street and it's just like are you protesting or are you doing road work and you weren't fully sure but it was also like are you should i should i go down a different street because i see a bunch of people in yellow vests down there because they're racist or are they for the working class people and so you just really didn't know 
And that was just kind of, I think just like the, the lines got muddled along the way of what that protest was for. Um, so it, it sounds yeah. like a movement that like might've started with a good intention and then certain loud voices have taken over and. Yeah. And that's exactly what the yellow vest sketch is about. And so it basically is just like four people coming together to protest. Um, And the protests also like really fizzled out. They tried to uh, clog up traffic in Edmonton and they successfully did it once. And then every other time that they're just like, let's go clog up traffic again. Not enough people showed up to clog up traffic. And so it was just like just regular rush hour. It was very funny for me. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it was basically, that's the sketch. It's just like the four people coming together to protest. Um, and then you find out that none of them are protesting for the same reason. And all of them are against mm. which each individual person is protesting. But at one point at the, at the end, my character brings up um, the idea of the pipeline and is protesting the pipeline. Um, uh, because of like... I had to do some research for it of just like the reasons why it's not okay, like how they're going about building it. But it's just like, how can I write this message into the sketch without it sounding incredibly preachy, having like an indigenous person on stage saying the pipeline is negative for these reasons without the whole audience being like this again, you know, as opposed to like, Oh, this is a fun joke, but it's also, that's a good point. Yeah. You don't want your sketch to turn, turn into like a sermon. No, not at all. Or like a lecture or, you know, yeah, a, a classroom. And so basically my tactic for getting around that is just creating just like wild, dumb characters and just like having those dumb characters say the message in a way. So just playing a little bit more with satire, like it's always sunny style of just like these are a bunch of assholes doing the wrong thing. So you can be like, oh, they're doing the wrong thing, but it's pretty funny. And it's just like, I know it's wrong. That's why it's fun. Yeah, the, the idea of yeah of laughing at the the idiot, like, yeah, trope for sure. Yeah, uh, not trope. Trope's not the right word there. <laughs> hey, I get what you mean. I get what you mean. The uh, archetype. That's the one I want. That's the that one. That one sounds better. Uh, so then, like, so you uh, Dang Dumb had basically like, done Odd Wednesdays every month, generally. You work up to a fringe show. Mm-hmm. We're all quarantined. We're all like, you know, a stage doesn't seem to be in anyone's future anytime soon. Oh, as no. we record this. Yeah. What's on the table now for Dang Dumb? Um, yeah, we're trying to do, we're trying to put together a show currently um, where, because all of us are improvisers, so we can have that to our advantage too. And, a big essence of a lot of our shows, we call them bang bum sketches, uh, where it's all of us playing heightened versions of ourselves, just in wacky scenarios. Um, and so it's kind of, it kind of feels like it has an essence of that, but basically we're going to put ourselves into writing teams and then ask through social media for like a one word suggestion. And then we, in those each groups, each have our own suggestion. We write a sketch. And then we do the table read live on whatever platform. So that's kind of hmm. what we're working towards. Cause then we can like have the heightened bang bum versions of ourselves, like either roasting their scout or adding to it in between reads. But it's also, you can really pick on each other and like play with it in that way. Like Dylan can't do an accent to save his life, but you could cast him <laughs> as like the British spy. And it's just like, great. This is, perfect we get to see him stumble through all of this and it's super fun (laughs) uh so yeah that's kind of what we're working towards right now and then also putting um more stuff to our um what's it called our videos like making a little bit more videos because there's so Mm. many of us in one household so we can make it work (laughs) um i ask everybody because saturday night live is like the the big juggernaut of sketch comedy yeah universally do you have a favorite snl cast member a favorite cast member yeah oh, oh man probably Kristen wig yeah oh but that one's really tough but i think for like if we're talking pure character work Kristen wig yeah the idea that she's now like 
she got her start on SNL and now she's going to be the villain in the next like Wonder Woman movie. Yeah. It's so exciting to me. Like, even though I, I always joke that she stole a joke of mine, but that's okay. That she stole a what? She stole a joke of mine. Oh, okay. Yeah. When, Which one? Whenever my sister and I would go <laughs> shopping and her, and her credit card was approved. Yeah. I would always like, yay, approved. And then like it showed up in the target lady sketches. <laughs> Like two years later, like I was like, "Oh no!" Oh, someone, someone got to it before I did. Like, I hate that feeling. Seeing the the first like Saturday Night Lives at home, and I there's so many ideas that I had had, and then when you watch it, and you're like, "Oh, it did have legs, didn't it?" <laughs> you just see it live for everybody. I'm like, Damn it! Yeah, yeah. It's always it's always a bummer to see someone that gets the joke out just because they have a better platform than I do like right oh there's just that worry you know that constant worry I um have you ever watched um pen 15 I haven't watched it now oh it's amazing it's on cbc gym I don't know if you get cbc down there it's, but... it's on hulu down here yeah okay yeah, it's on hulu. yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um and uh Oh man, it's so good, and it's just the these two women, um, uh, in junior high. They're like it's them in junior high, but they're playing like themselves in junior high. So it's these like two thirty year old women, but the rest of the cast is all thirty. Is all junior hires? Yeah, there's. I don't know. There's something about that that I understand the charm of it, but it still feels weird to me. Oh, but they like, not in a good way. Not in a good way. Yeah, they knock it out of the park, and there's nothing like weird about it. Uh, according to me according to me (laughs) but yeah they have this one bit um because yeah one of the women that writes the show she's a woman of color like and she stars in it as well and they have this bit and it's one of my sketches and like granted it's one of my like uh older sketches anyway and it like it's got legs obviously because they successfully did it um but it was uh basically it's the idea that uh whenever you're like young and playing Spice Girls, you know, in like the early 2000s. Um, mm. If you're the person of color, regardless of what color you are. Um, you have to be Scary Spice. Scary Spice. Yeah. And so yeah. that was, they they portrayed it in like a very humbling way. And you're just like, when I was sitting there watching it, I was like, damn it, you, you really nailed it. You really nailed it. And my sketch that I had made that was basically like, not basically the same joke, it was similar, um, but the same setup. I was like, oh, man. I don't know if I can really work on this one again, but I can make it my own, but yeah. 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 Um, and I always ask Canadians too, um, is there something in Canadian pop culture that you would recommend to an American to Ooh. hunt down? Like, and, and I always want something like, like off the beaten track. Like, uh, you know, we know about Shit's Creek. We know about Baroness. Yeah. Um, Naked Ladies. We know about like, I wouldn't recommend them, but yeah. Rush, I know about. Oh yeah, every Canada Day on the loudspeakers. <laughs> I'm slightly obsessed with Red Green. Oh, uh, green. but yeah, is there anything Canadian that I should look out for? Ooh, I can do a shameless pitch for, and it's still really good. Um, my roommate, uh, he just shows for, or he, yeah, he does um a. Almost like a, I can't say it's a mockumentary, but it's like a nature documentary um, called Frick I Love Nature. And it is, I think you can find it on YouTube for sure. It is so good. It's so funny. That's definitely something I would recommend. All right, cool. Mm. All right, so as we wind down, same two questions I ask everybody. It's always the same. Uh get a little deeper get a little more philosophical at the end what's something that you've learned from comedy that you would pass on to a new comedy writer learn commit that's like the biggest thing uh i would say it's like the one thing that everything comes down to like when i'm teaching improv when i'm doing improv when i'm pitching sketches is like just just commit to what to what it is if you trust yourself and you and you go 110% within it, like commit to the character choice that you've made. Like unless it's like you're noted to be like, yeah, maybe if we bring it down and just like kind of going. But if you think it's funny, really commit to it. Because um, also nobody wants to see somebody waffle on their own ideas. Like the second you do it, the second they do it, 
everybody can see in the room of just like they don't fully believe in themselves and that makes me uncomfortable but if you commit to it it's good yeah i've always suggested to people that like if you know if we're doing a table read session or something no matter what you know gender character whatever it is whatever character you want to get over the hardest like if there's a specific joke person in that sketch Mm -hmm. read that character the way you want it read yeah and commit to it so that everyone else understands what where you're going with it yes like best way to get that across and then finally um i mean you started doing improv at 18 university rapid fire started a sketch troupe why comedy why is comedy taking over your life it's always been big in it um i was like yeah it's just the the joys of like making people laugh is such a nice thing i've always loved making people laugh the young age i had like when i thinking about this podcast i was just like oh man what what are like when I really think about it, what were like the first things that I had done uh, for like my first bits that I would like continue to bring out, um, which was a, like a delight for me to think about. But um, I remember when I was like seven, I made somebody laugh so hard that she peed her pants. And then I did it again when I was 12. And both of those are like probably the warmest feelings that I have, even though it's like, both of them forgave me because it was like a great, it was a great romp of a time. But to have that power to make somebody laugh so hard that they can no longer control their bowels was phenomenal. And I think, yeah, it's just very positive. It's like a nice way, you like just like with some of the like the POC sketches that I've written and stuff. It's like a nice way to get your point of view across that lightens the mood. I'm I'm legitimately sitting here with my mouth agape because I don't think I've ever made someone pee their pants. Oh my god like, thrilling <laughs> all right thanks kelly yeah thanks josh kelly turner is a member of dang dumb out of edmonton you can like dang dumb on facebook at facebook.com slash dang dumb or on instagram at dang dumb comedy and don't be surprised if you see members of dang dumb joining us during sketchy Bader in the coming weeks speaking of don't forget about sketchy Bader, sketch comedy incubator we've been hosting it on zoom every two weeks the next one is friday may 29th at 10 p.m eastern 7 p.m pacific and you know you can do the math to figure out whatever other time zone you're in the first two have been so much fun it's been so good to see our friends and familiar faces having fun and making each other laugh. For more information, including the Zoom ID, check out myfirstsketch.com, phillysketchfest.com, and Facebook. I'm sure my first sketch and Philly Sketch Fest will both be posting out the Zoom IDs and everything as we get close. My First Sketch is a Philly Sketch Fest production. You can find out more information at phillysketchfest.com. Follow Philly Sketch Fest on Instagram at phillysketchfest. The music on this episode is by the band No-No, which you can check out at nonoband.bandcamp.com. Like My First Sketch on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter. Rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This is Josh Hyam. Thanks for listening. Make someone laugh today.